be seated. It is good to see everyone, both in person and online. So glad that you are uh, with us uh, this morning. And as Pastor Kyle read for us, we are continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. And so I would invite you to uh, find your Bibles. If you're gathering with us uh, online at home, uh, find your Bibles, open those Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 6 if you haven't already done so. And you will note that as we've continued in this study in Ephesians, this is a continuation of a teaching of Paul on the household, on how we are to live, on how our lives are to be directed by the newness that Christ has given us um, over the past few weeks when we began this teaching speaking on Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and really um, he Paul begins with husbands and wives and what we are to look like um, as a family. You will remember that we went back to Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 and we have to do that each week. We did that the same last week as Paul talked to us about parents and uh, children and how we are to interact with one another. But we remind ourselves from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, that God is making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And that's the theme of this this book, this letter that Paul wrote, was that Christ is making all things new. And the first thing that he did in the making of all things new is he raised us to new life in him, although we were dead in our trespasses, children of wrath, destined for separation from God for all eternity, Jesus came and lived so that we might live. And he raised us to new life. And then at the end of chapter 4 and beginning of chapter 5, he describes this new life in Christ that we have as the body of Christ, the church. And as the people, the church, the people of God, we are called to live in such a way that reflects this new life. And so he then went to the relationships of the household, the primary things that the people of God engage in. Husbands and wives, children and parents, and this morning, masters and bondservants. He is describing how our lives reflect the reality, this inward reality. Often when we celebrate baptism as a church family, you'll know that we say that baptism is a symbol, an external symbol of the inward reality of our lives, that we have already been made new in Christ. We have professed our faith in Christ and so then been raised to life. And we go into the waters of baptism as a symbol of that truth, of that reality. Well, we get to live out that uh, life almost symbolically, but it's not really a symbol. We just get to live it out and be the people of God who live differently than the rest of the world. Husbands are to live sacrificially for their wives as Christ loved the church. The culture thought of women as low and less than, and Paul elevates them to their proper place within the household of God, saying that they are to be loved and sacrifice for, and to only follow one man, not having to be submissive to all of the world. Children also are told to honor and obey their parents, but parents are given the distinct honor and responsibility of training and instructing their children in the Lord. The Christian household would have children who are trained in the Lord, and therefore the whole household begins to look different. And as we said, he now comes to these final instructions for the house. And he speaks to masters and bondservants, or as some translations would say, slaves. Now let's be real about this teaching as we come to Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 9. We realize that this 
makes us a little bit uneasy. There's some tension in our hearts because we're well aware of the evil of slavery. In America specifically, we know that history and the remnants of racism that still exist in our country today. And so when we come to this teaching, we're wondering, is God affirming slavery? Is he lifting this up as something to be commendable? So in order for us to really understand what this text is teaching us, we need to understand the context of what Paul was speaking into in that time in history as he speaks to masters and bondservants or slaves. Now, in ancient history, there were slaves, there was slavery that did resemble in some ways, in some form or fashion, perhaps uh, even equal to what we know of as the American-African slave trade that was evil, that was a scourge on our society in this world. That did exist in the ancient world, but by the time that Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, it is estimated that there was probably 60 million slaves in the entire Roman Empire. Every person more than likely in the church in Ephesus was either a master or a bondservant or at one time had been one. And even the poorest of the citizens who didn't have servants, they understood the life that was lived by the bondservant. This teaching was applicable to everyone. Now, this ancient history prior to the Roman Empire and prior to this uh, current day, at least what I say when I speak of current day, I'm speaking to what Paul is writing to. This is a new type of master-slave, master-bond-servant relationship. It had evolved. See, under Roman law, slaves could count on buying their freedom relatively early in their life. They were not owned in the sense of perpetual ownership. This was something that they could buy their freedom. Even some sold themselves into servitude to Roman citizens because being a part of the household of a Roman citizen therefore granted you Roman citizenships. And so many people would sell themselves into slavery or to servitude. Many slaves themselves had further slaves. It was this continuation. This was an essentially, in some sense, a class. However, a slave was given the same social class as, and status of his master. Therefore, you could not distinguish between the master and the bondservant or a free person and a slave. Slaves were able to hold any position that their masters wanted. They ran their businesses for them. They took care of their property. Many slaves owned property themselves, had separate property and ownership of homes separate from their masters. So this slavery, this master-slave, master-servant relationship looked very different than what we think of when we think of slavery in the American context. This is important to note because it's often wrongly been said that the Bible doesn't condemn slavery. The equality of all people created in the image of God is enough to condemn slavery. The Bible and what we are reading of here knows nothing of the type of slavery that was exercised in our country. The brotherhood also of the gospel and the equality of the gospel kills any ideas of the type of slavery that we know. 
But here in the church in Ephesus, there were these relationships. There was the relationship within the household of master and bondservant. And as we understand this context of this relationship, by the way, Paul elevating it to similar sort of degree of importance to marriage and parenting and children, master and bondservant, in a sense, not leaving it down below as something that should be less than in terms of the relationship and the, t- the way that people should be treated, but elevating it to something, this is how we are to treat one another. It teaches us, and we can apply this to our own lives. How do we apply this teaching to our own lives? Well, as you heard me describe the relationship of the master and the bondservant, you might have begun to think, of yourse- think to yourself, this sounds similar to an employee-employer type relationship. And in some senses, that is exactly what this was. There were people who said, I will come and serve amongst this household in order to earn a wage. And as I earn that wage, I'm able to then buy my freedom, and now I'm able to buy my freedom as a Roman citizen and have all of the benefits of that, or I'm able to be granted this social class, I'm able to have property given to me and earned, and all of these types of things. And so as we look at this text, the, best, the closest application for us today is to realize or to see this speaking to us as employers and employees? How do we work? How do we live for the Lord in the way that we work and we employ others? Bond servants, it says in verse 5, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will to the Lord and not to man. Within this first few verses of this section, Paul explains that the relationship of the bondservant to the master should be one that is looked upon as the bondservant up to Christ. And you might remember hearing that we are, as husbands, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Or his teaching in Colossians where he says that we are to work as unto the Lord. Our employment, we are to work for the Lord, not just for man. And he gives us four instructions as to how the bondservant, the employee, should work. The first, it says that the bondservant should obey earthly masters with fear and trembling. Again, when we read these words, the first thoughts that might come to your mind are thoughts of, that sounds like slavery. That sounds like the slavery that we think of in America. But what we have to remember is this phrase, fear and trembling, is something that we're all called to do as Christians, to come before the Lord with fear and trembling. This is a call to have reverence, ultimately to have respect. And so we are to work with respect for our masters, for our employers, to have a reverence for the role that they play, the blessing that they have in our lives. We are to come to them with sincere hearts, sincere hearts that have a reverence. Second there, you do see that he says, with a sincere heart, not by way of eye service. I love that phrase, not by way of eye service. How many of us in our lives have been doing something at work 
And we find ourselves, the boss comes around the corner, the manager, and we quickly stop whatever it was that we might be doing because we don't want their eyes to catch that. We don't want to work just for the eye service. I'm reminded of one of my favorite seasons, and I regret, I I hate bringing this up because I know it's going to bring sadness to all our hearts, but March Madness. And I love March Madness, and I missed March Madness tremendously this year. But one of my favorite things about March Madness is that first Thursday and Friday where we are at work most of the time, but we're watching our brackets, and we're watching games. And one of the developers of the ability to watch the the games on your screen, you may be familiar with this. You can watch all of the games on the screen, but there's a boss button there. So that if your boss comes around the corner while you're watching the the tournament on your cubicle, you just hit that button. By way of eye service, you're able to just correct, hey, I'm not doing anything, and it's beautiful. Uh, Something that resembles an Excel spreadsheet flashes across the screen, which, you know, I just, just, I'm working on my TPS report, boss. That's all I'm doing here. And so... We know that we're not to work that way. No, we're not to just try to please them with our eyes, but out of our reverence and respect for them, we are to do uh, work sincerely. We're not to have a fear of man, but we are to be slaves of Christ. By the way, Paul introduced himself in Titus, one of his letters. He does this often, but I just remember Titus. He calls himself, as he's introducing himself, a bondservant, a slave of Christ. And so we're, we're to work as slaves of Christ, not for the boss that employs us, but ultimately for Christ, to Christ. And we're supposed to do that with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. If Jesus was our supervisor, our employer, how would we work for him? I believe that we would do our very best. We would serve sincerely. You ask children that question, and they'll give you great answers. But as we think about that, do we realize that the just as government authorities, Romans chapter 13, are put over us and only are given their sovereignty over us by God himself, do we also think of our employers, those who pay us, who have hired us to do a work and to earn a wage, do we think of them as given their authority and their capacity, their financial means to employ us by God, and so when we work for them, we can trust that we are working as unto the Lord? Because we all know that when the Lord says that you should no longer be employed by someone, you will no longer be employed by them for whatever reason. My heart breaks. Recently, we've experienced economic downturn in our country and such that many of you have been laid off or been impacted. We are reminded that we're not in control and even our employers aren't in total control. They rest under the authority of God himself. And so when we work for them with sincere hearts as unto Christ, we're acknowledging that reality. We are, in a sense, worshiping the Lord and giving honor to him for his graciousness to us, for his provision in our lives as we work to him. Then he continues, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. From the heart. This is something that we, we know when we're driven by our heart. So often we navigate this world and this life making calculated decisions, doing this or that, kind of thinking a few steps ahead. But when we, when we live out of our hearts, we know that sometimes that comes with emotion, that comes with sincerity. There's a, a deeper drive there. And what Paul is exhorting us to as employees, as bond servants, as workers, 
is that we are to work from the heart, allowing that reality again, acknowledging who God is, trusting that it is his will that we are employed in this circumstance, in this situation by this employer. And we are to live and do his will and do it from the heart. Finally, in verse 7, he says to the bondservant that they are to render service with a good will. Again, continuing this theme, as to the Lord and not to man. I think of this, the idea of doing work pleasantly, with a smile on your face, with good will towards the master. How often... In your own work situations, have you been drawn into a conversation around the coffee pot talking talking about sort of us versus them, speaking negatively against the employer, thinking negatively about your boss, and not doing the work that you've been called to do without grumbling, but doing it with sort of a broken spirit, as if you're forced to be there. No, we are to render service with goodwill. We're to do it pleasantly. And we're to think highly of that employer as to the Lord. Now, this obviously acknowledges, as it has in every other one of these household relationships, that we are not just to look the other way blindly to sin. We're not to follow. There isn't a respect or a reverence for evil that exists. We're not to just do anything that our employers call us to do or to do it without grumbling or putting up any sort of a, some sort of pushback. No, this, this reality, what Paul describes, is done and is lived out only when masters, when the boss, when the employer is living out what he is called to do. But we all know that we live in a broken and a sinful world. And here's the reality of that. We are all going to fail at some point or another. So as employees, yes, we are not supposed to just turn a blind eye to evil or crime or anything like that. Of course, that's not what Paul is exhorting them to. But he's saying that they are to do this with a reverence and a respect and an honor, with a sincere heart, with goodwill towards the master as they work as they do good. But as the master is to lead, there's also a responsibility given to the master or the employer. And this he turns to in verse 8. He says that the employee is to render service, back in verse 7, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or free. And so Paul begins this transition as he is turning to the masters to recognize that whether you are a bondservant or free, whether you're an employer or you're a master, you are to do your work and trust that the Lord will honor your efforts and that you will receive back from the Lord. Now, this is not some sort of prosperity gospel that says if you do this, the Lord is going to pay you back in some uh, financial way. But what we can do is we can trust the Lord. As we live out the life that we're called to leave, lead, lead excuse me, as employees and as masters, we can know that we 
are doing this unto the Lord and that the Lord will provide and will care for us. We will receive back. And so the master is to then, in verse 9, do the same. Masters, do the same to them. All that he has just called the bondservant to do, he now calls the master to do because he draws this line of equality. They are not your, they're not less than. You don't own them, in a sense, is what he's saying here. Again, drawing that line, differentiating this relationship, even though we use the term master and slave, master and servant, drawing a differentiating from what we know as the American slave trade. No, the master and the bondservant were equals, and that he was to do the same to them. They served and they worked in different roles, but they were equally created in the image of God. So masters, do all that I have just called the employees to do. You do the same to them. And guess what? Should you be tempted? Stop your threatening. Stop lording your leadership over them. Stop exercising this sort of unloving, unchristlike authority. Again, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to Christian leaders, employers. They are your equals. In a sense, this is the golden rule for employers. Treat them as you would want to be treated. That's the call for them. Because why? And this is the heart of the matter. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. See, God looks upon the employee and the employer, and he is Lord over both. We both serve the same master, whether you are the master or the slave, the boss or the employee, you serve the same God. He is master over all, and so even the master, as he is to work, he is to work as unto the Lord, his master. He is to work respectfully. He is to work sincerely. He is to work with a pure heart from the heart. He is to have a work that is done from goodwill and done pleasantly, not threatening, not lording it over the others, but doing it with joy. And doing it considering and thinking of the best for others. Now these directions, friends, these are not optional. As we close this section on Ephesians, the household rules, husbands and wives, children and parents, bond servants and masters. These are not optional decisions. These are not things that we can say, I think I'll do this as a husband. I don't want to do this as an employee, or I'll be this type of wife, but I don't want to be this type of mom, or I don't want to be this type of employer. No, this is a calling on our lives that reflects and speaks to our witness. How do we live this out when we see, or when people see the way that we live? They recognize that there is something different within your work community? Is it evident that you treat the employees or the employer differently because of who Christ is and because of what he has done in your life? 
Husbands and wives, do you treat one another differently than your friends who are non-Christians? Because it is evident of what Christ has done in your life. Now what we know is that that is hard. Our, fla- our flesh rails against us. But these instructions are to be lived and they can only be lived empowered by the Holy Spirit. Here's how we know we're doing the right thing. When our flesh gives us instruction to go left, and we know that that is what we would want to do, but the God-honoring thing is to go to the right, that is the Spirit-empowered thing to do. And we need to follow the leading of the Spirit. We need to ask for His empowerment so that we can offer the world marriages that are secure and offer a picture of the sacrificial love of Christ, that we can be parents who disciple our children well and children who honor our parents, that we can be employees and employers who exemplify hard work as unto the Lord and don't get dragged down by the pettiness of an us-versus-them type of a mentality, but recognizing that we are all doing what God has called and gifted us to do in order that he might be for our good and that he might be glorified. In short, we present our lives to the world in the way we live within our homes, in our daily lives, as a commendation to Christ. Yes, we preach the gospel with our words. How precious are the feet of the one who brings the good news of Jesus. Yes, and we proclaim that with words, but we also live that out. And one of the greatest hindrance to the Christian witness, I would say, in America is the fact that we so often acknowledge Jesus with our mouths and our lives do not reflect a submission to his way as Lord. And if we would live that out and submit our lives to his lordship, then the words that we proclaim would take much deeper root because the people who know us the best, our wives, our husbands, our children, our coworkers, our employers, they see where our hope truly lies. Is your hope found in Christ? Do you submit to him as Lord, knowing that he is sovereign over all things? Can you trust him? Display that trust. Display that confidence as you rest in him and him alone. Let's pray and ask the Spirit to help us to do that. Holy Spirit, I thank you again for your truth This reminder, this convicting reminder of how we are to live. God, I pray that you would allow us to live lives submitted to you. Holy Spirit, help us in that. We must be empowered by you. Fill us now. And as we go into this week, in these strange days, let us be a people who commend Christ as we submit to you as Lord. We thank you for your help to do that, Jesus. We pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. He's worthy of it. Let's sing. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, 
for the glory of God and the good of the city.